Hello and welcome back to the About Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. You can find this podcast on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at about to review you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that you can find podcasts i'm pretty sure there is not a podcast platform that i'm not on except for spotify but that does not count because they are dumb uh other than that you can find me on itunes stitcher blueberry anywhere else uh today's guest is once again joining the studio by popular demand mr damian randall aka d randall aka Unky D, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Who demanded this? Yeah, uh, yeah. This is Damien, y'all, live from the set of Aquaman here in Houston, Texas. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's it's an, it's been an amazing amazing few days here. I'm mm-hmm. glad to I'm glad to I'm glad to be here as a break from uh, from everything that's been going on. Yes. So for those of you who, if for whatever reason this is your first time listening to this podcast. Which happens, the great Stan Lee always says that everybody has, or every comic book is somebody's first comic book. So if this is your first time listening and you are like, who is this Damian Randall guy? He, of course, is the host of the Curly Nerd podcast with Jess O'Brien, as well as a newer podcast called From Houston with Love. So, yeah, he, mm-hmm. he is around, and especially Houston, yeah, uh, From Houston with Water uh would be appropriate with lots of water from harvey with water yeah yeah it's uh it's it's been kind of an amazing few days um as as many of you probably know if you pay attention to any type of news uh the houston area was struck with a category four hurricane by the name of harvey mm-hmm. and by the time it's all said and done i read this today this will this harvey will have produced the most amount of rainfall from a single storm in U.S. history, so it's uh, it goes without saying we've we've experienced record levels of flooding. Uh, fortunately, mm-hmm. I personally have been okay for the most part. No flooding in my house, and we're 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 decent here. I don't have any central power, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're running off of generator power right now, which is why I'm able to record this today. Which I, is, I am uh, very. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm very glad that uh, you were able to <laughs> to do this, uh, considering it was a little bit sketchy there when we were planning out this episode, and yeah, then yeah. it was like, mm, I might not have power. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. It's it's one of those things that I, I could get frustrated about, but um, obviously there there are people who are a lot worse off than I am right now. People who've actually experienced property and home loss. Uh, right now, there are about a hundred thousand people. Uh, in the city as of today with uh, with no power I'm one of them mm-hmm. but I'm I'm fine as long as everything is dry and my family is safe I'm I'm happy with it there you go well that is very good to hear uh on today's episode we're going to be talking about one new movie and two new TV shows that have dropped recently on streaming services the movie oh john oh yes i'm sorry i don't mean to cut you off can i do one thing real quick uh-huh. This 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 just crossed my mind. I did want to get out give out a couple of numbers in case um uh, in case people did want to um help or needed help yes. with uh with the flood. Um so by the time this airs, the the storm will most likely have passed through but will still probably have a lot of people who are either uh flooded in their homes or 
uh, just can't move around. Uh, there are a lot of charities out there, mm-hmm. but what I will point people towards are a couple of numbers to actually get help or provide help. Um, they're accepting offers of help, um, believe it or not, through the Office of Emergency Management. Okay. The the local number here in Houston is 713-884-4500, or you can visit HoustonEmergency.org. And uh, for anyone that actually wants to come, we've had quite a few people, civilians, come to town on their own with boats and so forth to offer help. Contact the Office of Emergency Management and they can direct you um, uh, towards help. And also for resources for anyone that's trying to get out of the city or get to someone in the city, uh, the, the American Red Cross has set up a hotline for that. If you're trying to contact someone, get a message someone, you can call the American Red Cross at 1-800-975-7585. Uh, and if you do want to donate charity or I mean donate money or food or water or anything like that, uh, mm-hmm. I would just advise you just to just to search there there are a lot of charities that are popping up right now. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to specifically endorse anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are quite a few just find one that looks like it might be worthwhile and and help out. There you go. Excellent. Thank you for that because, yeah, it is important that people are having access to things, you know, even if it is just a phone call where they might be able to get a resource that they currently do not have. So if you are available and able to help out and you feel so inclined, definitely give those numbers uh, a call. Yep. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to say, do you remember those old commercials? I think it was like Lay's or Pringles, which is... Once you pop, you cannot stop. And it reminded me, once you pop, you cannot stop the drop of this beat at your feet. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Bars. bars. Hashtag Uh, bars. (laughs) Hashtag bars with three Zs at the end. Oh man! Uh, the reason I mean I you had to come up with some sort of <laughs> of rhyme out of respect for your rap credentials. I mean, come on! Well, you did a great job though. You you did better than most new rappers. <laughs> I can understand what you said. Yeah, Mama, right? Scrap it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, speaking of of the hippity hop, uh, not mm-hmm. stopping. The first thing that I'm going to be reviewing on today's episode is a new movie that has been blowing up the uh, indie scene. Uh, It premiered at Sundance, had a huge crowd response at Sundance. The movie is called Patty Cakes. Uh, Mm. And the director, who is also the writer, and he actually wrote most of the uh, original songs slash raps, in the film is Jeremy Jasper. And this film, it centers around uh, this woman who nicknamed Patty, but also Patricia Dombrowski. She has, I mean, again, we, we kind of did some AKAs in the beginning. She has like four AKAs. Her real name is <laughs> Patricia Dombrowski, AKA Dumbo, which is what the mean kids call her because she is kind of a larger girl. Uh, then <laughs> she also goes by Patty Cakes. She also goes by Kill a Pea. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. Essentially, do you remember a movie called Hustle and Flow? 
I do. Yes, I do. Do you remember a film called Eight Mile? I absolutely do. Yes. Okay. Now, think of those movies in New Jersey with a white girl protagonist making her way in the rap game. <laughs> that sounds like a horror flick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it sounds like a recipe for comedy. And that was, I mean, I think I am not alone by having some reservations before this even kind of came out. We started getting emails about it, uh, that it was going to be coming to town during SIF, the Seattle International Film Fest. Um, the director was here. And so it started getting a lot of buzz. And when I read the synopsis and I looked at it, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> I just, I was not really sure what to make of it. Uh, so I, I yep. unfortunately missed it at SIF and I missed uh, the opportunity to talk to Jeremy Jasper. So when it <clears throat> came back around for the next uh, round of screenings, I was like, all right, let me have an open mind and go check this out and see if it, again, is going to be a comedy, is going to be a drama, like what their take is going to be. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I was, again, very hesitant going into it uh but it was something that the characters were actually pretty well they were really well done mm -hmm. and in any movie like this as we kind of joked about slash alluded to if those characters are not completely genuine within the film it would not work because then it would just right. be caricatures it would just be stereotypes it would turn into uh what was that Jamie Kennedy movie? Uh, Malibu's Most Wanted. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it was definitely not that. It then. was definitely not that. Because even Ooh, though okay. they are these super extravagant characters, you know, and this takes place in, I say modern day, but a couple of things did not really make sense to me when it, if this is, you know, 2017, um, so yeah, so the characters are are well done because they have to be. <laughs> right. And at one point, the reason I say that it takes place relatively now is once she makes her demo, uh, she makes it on a CD. And even the person she gives her CD to, and this is not really a spoiler alert, she goes to this party as part of her second job. She is working for a catering company. And at this bar mitzvah, the DJ is MC Light. Right? Hmm. <laughs> if you can see Damien's like, face right now. <laughs> like like MC Light from like is does she look like MC Light from today or does she look like MC Light from like 1985? No, like today. Like it is MC okay. Light right now. Um and it was and it was really her in the movie? It, it was really her. Oh wow, she's still around. Good for her. Oh yeah, yeah. She was on um a season of some, I forget what rap show had a bunch of women rappers. I cannot think of it. I think it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. I usually I usually hear her voice at any of the BET awards, but I well, don't yeah, there you anymore. go. <laughs> so, so one point, uh, Patty Cakes uh, slash Killer P hands MC Light this this demo, and MC Light yep. was like, you know, people don't really make CDs anymore. <laughs> And she was Absolutely. like, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was kind of old school. And it was just kind of a weird interaction. Um, 
that again, if this is taking place now, nobody would make a CD. You drop it on no. SoundCloud, which thankfully for a lot of, uh, shall we say, aspiring uh, rappers <laughs> and artists, SoundCloud currently was kind of given a life preserver. Uh, Woo. Who knows how long it, it is going to last. Uh, you guys got like until November to figure it out. Yeah, so so they were given a little yeah. little chunk of change to stave off right. some creditors for a while. So that was just kind of odd. I was like, okay, if this is somebody who is kind of obsessed with the rap game as she is, as her character is, Patricia Dombrowski, that was just kind of a weird thing. I mean, it, it was it was a little thing. I try not to be too nitpicky with things like that, but it was also just kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but the main character, Patricia Dombrowski, is played by. Uh, newcomer Danielle McDonald, who is actually Australian. I knew that going into it, and I was like, okay, she is an Australian actress who has been living in the States for a while, playing somebody from New Jersey. How is this accent going to work? Well, you know the Aussies and the Brits are taking all of our acting jobs. Well, I mean, (laughs) the difference is they can do our accents way better than we can do theirs. Absolutely. Good night, mate. See? Uh, See, I'm not getting I'm not oh. getting cast anything. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No calls that, are and that was my And that was my British accent. So Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> um so there were a couple times as I as I heard her throughout the movie it, it was not necessarily slipping, but it was just tones. It was just inflections. That happens. You know, it was it was fine. And I think the benefit that she had was that everybody else, their accents, like her mom in this film, is mm-hmm. incredible. Uh, played by Bridget Everett. And she puts on, like, the thickest Jersey accent. But it works. It, it really <laughs> helps <laughs> sell the character, sell the mood. Like, everything about her, it just it made it work. And so because of that, those little times that Patty would slip here and there, it was like, oh, Okay. Like it, it was excusable, uh, but yeah, she she was really good, Danielle McDonald. Um, the problem with this film, from a mile away, almost from the first five minutes of the film, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost beat for beat, it was like okay, so Fun. she she wants to be a rapper. She is going to go through some heartache. She is going to get rejected. She is going to triumph. She is going to go through this and this and this. All of it happened. <laughs> um, that being said, it really did at the end and towards, I would say, the third act really pay off. And I really was invested in these characters way more than I thought I was going to be. Okay. So I was definitely I was impressed with this film. I think this ensemble cast did a really good job. I also, one of the main characters who plays her best friend, his story is interesting as far as the actor himself. His name is uh, Siddharth Dananje, and he portrays this character on YouTube that he created years ago. Just this like odd rapper, you know, doing all this. The director of this film saw one of those random clips, hit him up, and was like, hey, you want to audition for my movie? And he was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he auditioned, got the part of a rapper. So that story in and of itself is pretty awesome. 
I like that he played a character on his own YouTube channel, created this rapper persona, that ended up getting him a job in a pretty big indie feature. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And and he was he was good too. Uh the and I know that somebody with your uh shall we say pedigree when it comes to oh. uh the rap game. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure. You might have a hard time with this movie. <laughs> um What? The as good as the two characters are, who are doing, you know, the rapping, uh Patty or Danielle McDonald's and Siddharth Dananjay, some of the flow, some of it was just it was a little bit static. Um she she goes into a battle rap at one point with one of the characters or a couple different times and you know it was it was convincing in the moment but then as soon as i started thinking about it after it was like hmm maybe it was not that great well you know there's 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 a little bit of leeway that we give to uh to non-rappers in 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 rap movies not a lot <laughs> there's there's a little and um you know, I mean, and that and that's not just for movies like this, but I mean, even movies like Fear of a Black Cat or CB4 that I still haven't seen. There's, whoa, there's whoa, a you, little... you have not seen CB4? Wow. Yeah, that is that is one of my um, that that's that's one of my calling cards. I, I have never watched CB4 ever. Okay, interesting. I've heard I've heard all the references. I know, you know, I'm I'm black, y'all. I'm black, y'all, and I'm blackity blacky black, 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 y'all. <laughs> yeah, I know about that. Never watched it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's just one of those things. I, I don't have anything against it. I've just never seen it. Okay. So I mean, yeah. So so, so when you put that in context, then yes, when non-rappers are performing as rappers, you have to kind of give them a little bit of slack. Um, yeah. And again, like putting that in context, it's still. There were still good performances. Um, yeah. It was because just, on the flip side of that. Yeah, it took a little bit of time. Um, I did fl- really like f- that it did not go the eight-mile route. And you did yeah. not get the payoff in the last ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> this one, you actually yeah. start to see her progress. You start to see her, you know, performing early in, like, the first act. So I was like, okay, it at least kind of set the stage for what could happen. Um, And so when you do get the payoff, it feels like it earned it a little bit more with 8 Mile. When you know that he is a great rapper and then just has stage fright and blah, 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 and you finally get that payoff at the end, sure, it works. But something like this, where it was, she gets into this battle rap early in the first act, and I was just waiting, and I'm like, man, I was like, is she going to fail at this? And then we just see her struggle through the next you know, hour. Uh, but no, it actually, it, it went well. I think the track that, that she was on, it made sense. Well, good for her. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I have to see it to, to really feel it out. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, if, if there was, if there was one, and just using eight miles as a comparison, if, if there was one thing about eight mile that, that I could have taken away from it or kind of subtracted from it was, I, the the last minute kind of ah yeah he caught us and he finally arrived part of it it was kind of like all right we we get it that was just whatever um 
and and the character development in Eight Mile wasn't necessarily the greatest, but I, I would mm-hmm. imagine that a film like this, especially with the way that you described it, does uh, does bring that home, especially if they feature her development over the span of the film, and it's not just like an aha moment where suddenly I can rap and I'm going to win. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So uh, overall, the supporting cast was was really well done. Uh, even some of the side characters. Um, they're really, I mean, the only big name in this, uh, Kathy uh, Moriarty is in this, who is an actress who has been around forever. Uh, yeah. And she was, she was pretty recognizable in this once you actually started kind of picking it apart. Uh, she was solid. She plays Patty's grandma. Uh, like I already mentioned, uh, Patty's mom, Bridget Everett, is great. The love interest, because there always has to be a love interest in these mm-hmm. movies, even as ham-fisted as, as they can be, uh, he is a super emo, uh, dark metal character who lives in a cemetery <laughs> or lives outside of a cemetery. Okay. Uh, play, played by a young brother named... Uh, Mamadou Athi, Mamadou Athi. Uh, he has he is every trope of the emo, uh, death metal character, and it was weird. It was just when he first came on and when he was first like interacting with everybody. So he has one blue uh, contact in his left eye, has these dreads. He talks really like soft and like this and very introspective <laughs> and blah and it was just like okay but of course you know she starts falling for him for whatever contrived reason um but again it worked because he was genuine like he took the role and just ran with it and stayed true to that so that it did not become this huge character um nice his character does kind of go through something in the third act that I thought was kind of weird but I will not talk about that on this because that would be spoilers and you still have yet to see it. All right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was Patty Cakes, the rating system for this podcast. Uh, and again, if this is your first time listening, there are three options when it comes to rating any and every form of media that is covered on this podcast. Those three options are good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something that you really enjoyed you like spending time with those characters and in that world. A bad film is something that you did not really enjoy. It would not be something that you immediately recommended to somebody. Uh, and then an ugly film goes without mention. Just, yeah, walk away. <laughs> just You would not recommend it. Avoid at all costs. So, Step away from the movie. <laughs> pretty much. So for Patty Cakes uh, by Jeremy Jasper starring Daniel McDonald. I, even though I did have some issues with it and it was very, very formulaic and I knew exactly where it was going the entire movie, it was still a good. I, I'm All confident right. in giving it a good. Um, I think my problems with it are pretty minimal. I think if you invest the time in these characters, the payoff makes sense. So, All right. yeah. So, so Patty Cakes with gets it. a good. I'm definitely checking it out. Sounds good. Uh, moving on to our first TV show of the episode, uh, it is going to be The Tick, which is on oh, yeah. 
Amazon Prime or Amazon Studio slash Amazon Video. They have a few different ways that you see it. Um, if you go back and listen to Friday's episode, episode one of the About to Interview podcast, I talked to Peter Sarfedowicz and Griffin Newman, who play the two titular title characters in The Tick, both The Tick and Arthur. So what I will do is go over The Tick history, and then we will make our way eventually to the new TV show. All right. Uh, so this character is pretty fascinating. And I say it is fascinating because Ben Edlund, who created this in 1986, he initially created it as a mascot for the New England comic store, like this New England comic book store that he was a customer and -hmm. he just drew it as a mascot. (laughs) And (laughs) the owners of the store were like, you know, this is really good. Kind of what would it take to build upon this? And so started putting together a newsletter featuring the tick and his first issue was in 1988. Do you, do you happen to remember the name of the, uh, the store? I think it was just New England Comics or something. Uh, let me see if I can pull that up real quick. Yeah, New England Comics Newsletter. And it was just okay. New England Comics was the name of, of the store. <laughs> okay. So he creates yeah. this character, The Tick. Uh, and by the time the first issue came out, he had kind of worked with the narrative a little bit. Essentially, Tick is a nigh-invulnerable character who has no secret identity, no discernible past, and the only real superpowers other than being invulnerable is that he is really strong. And that is about <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. Doesn't remember anything about his life before being the Tick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he only Hence the reason why he has no secret identity. Yep, that, that pretty much is it. Uh, he only remembers being the Tick, and so even though he cannot be harmed, he can be hurt. So he talks about that in some of the early issues. He just kind of chalks it up to the multiple head injuries he has taken while being <laughs> a superhero. Uh, and so even when people ask him, they're like, are you an alien? Are you this? And he was like, I'm the tick. And that is yeah. it. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remember being first becoming aware of the tick uh, through the comic book. And I actually remember seeing... Um, seeing that character in a lot of advertisements in comic books at the time. Mm-hmm. Comic books back then used to feature a lot of advertisements from different comic stores around the country that right. shipped nationally, like um, Midtown Comics. Midtown. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there was one called Newberry uh, or something like that. That's why I was asking the name of it, but a lot of them had little advertisements, and I remember seeing the tick as kind of a character in those. Mm-hmm. And which which eventually brought me to the book itself, and I used to I used to think that the book was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And was this hilarious. is one of those books. This is kind of I mean not way before Deadpool, but enough before Deadpool, where mm-hmm. when you look at these, you can start to see shades of that. You can start to see that just absurdity. You know, this character has does not really know about the world around him. And is just going about and doing whatever he needs to do. And the only thing, his prime motivation is just saving the city. And I put that in quotes yeah. because that is the name of the city in the comics is <laughs> the city. <laughs> the city. So, yeah, and uh, the city is also a host to a lot of uh, 
Well, I'll, I'll let you get into that. I'm jumping ahead. No, Go no, no, it. that's fine. Uh, what this also reminds me of is the old Eastman and Laird Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where yes. they had this idea and they did it black and white because it was super cheap to do, or not super cheap, way cheaper than color. Yep. And they did not start doing the color versions of the tick until a couple years later. And initially, the tick was going to be brown, mm-hmm. which, if you think about the tick, that, I mean, yes, of course, ticks are brown. We get it. But I cannot think of a world in which the tick is brown because all I've ever known right. is just this bright blue. So whoever made that choice in whatever editing room or whatever colorist was like, uh, we really should do something different. Props to them. So they changed yeah. him to blue, and that is what he has been ever since. Yeah, it it uh, that blue color really lean it lends to the absurdity of the character mm-hmm. as well. I think that's the one thing that's just, it's just so ostentatious to have this guy in a bright, stupid looking blue, mm-hmm. just walking around and completely unaware, completely un like self unaware. Mm-hmm. It's 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 amazing. Yeah, but yeah, that was a great decision. So you were going to talk about some of the the side characters in the city. Right. So the, the, the primary side character, if you want to call him that, is Arthur Chester, who is an accountant who just happens, depending on which version of it you come across, um, who happens to almost reluctantly become a sidekick of the tick. Mm-hmm. In the in the comics, he wears a a a suit that looks like a bunny. Yep. Uh, because his little furry ears, it's like a white furry suit, which occasionally sprouts wings. And one of the running jokes is people think he's a bunny. He's like, no, I'm a moth. This is actually a moth. <laughs> right. Moths have fur. Uh, but he's kind of the reluctant sidekick. And um, the, the the play between them is pretty hilarious because he's trying to figure out who the tick is. While the tick doesn't know who he is and doesn't really seem concerned mm-hmm. about who he is. Uh, it's really the straight guy, comic foil, um, kind of turned on its head a little bit. Absolutely. But the, the but the book itself and, and then some of the cartoons which we'll get to also feature a slew of just really absurd characters with absurd powers and abilities. And mm-hmm. I, I think that was that was really the lure of the book to me. Like how absurd can you be? How corny can some of these characters be? And mm-hmm. imagine living in a world with characters like this that are just it's just absurd. It's like they wanted to take the superhero genre and make a parody of it, but really like dig the knife in on the parody. Oh yeah. I mean, was, cause a lot of people, when they think of parody in comic books, they might think of like Batman 1966. Yeah. Take Batman 1966 and times it by like five. Right. Because the characters in the tick are just so crazy. So out there, but again, within the world, it makes sense. So one of my favorite right. characters from the cartoon of the comic books uh, was Chairface Chippendale, who is this <laughs> this crime boss. Uh, so you see him in the in all these suits and everything. Yeah, his head is a chair, like a wooden chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though some characters every now and then might say something, other than that, people just roll with it within the context of the show, within the context of the comic book. Same with yeah. all of these other crazy characters. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's just a guy with a chair, forehead, and let's just keep it moving. You know, mm-hmm. 
We see that every day. Yeah, right. there was. Um, I think there was a man eating cow. There, mm-hmm. were, there were a lot of just really weird ones. I, I was just like, this is pretty cool. Uh, Chainsaw wonder, Vigilante. Was oh, <laughs> such, such a good one. Uh, Deflator such Mouse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is all coming back now. Mm-hmm. So the yeah, cartoon was, was really, and again, this also ties mm-hmm. back into an independently owned comic, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The main reason people got to know those characters was not from the original source material, but as soon as it hit Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. So it hit Saturday morning cartoons in 1994. Yep. And I was hooked from the beginning. So I remember this was back in the day. Uh, the term DVR would not be invented for another like 20 years, uh, 15 <laughs> years. So I used to take blank tapes, figure out how to program my VCR, or get up earlier than I should be, plug in the VCR, press record, and then go back to bed. Because in a one-hour, or actually it was a two-hour block, at one point, I think in the summer of 94, it went uh, Batman was first, then The Tick, then Spider-Man, and uh, X-Men mm. were like back Ooh. to back to back. That's a good block. It was incredible. <laughs> wow. So that was what I would do on Saturday mornings is I would tape them so I could watch them again or watch them later on that day. Usually because, again, even though I was collecting comic books at that point, the idea of collecting media did not really latch on. So I would just tape over the episodes every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I mean, that was my introduction to this character. Like, I might have remembered him from, like I said, a couple of those ads in the old comics. But mainly, it was on Fox Kids. And that was what yeah. absolutely landed with me. Yeah, and I remember I remember, um, I was in college. I'm old at the time. And <laughs> right. the, the, the Tick was one of those shows. It was kind of like a cult classic in my, my little circle of friends. We would actually... Because we would also talk about comic books and stuff. I, I promise you guys, I had a social life at the same time. Mm. But we we, we mm. would we would we did we did we did. All right, <laughs> don't judge me. Um, but we would talk about how absurd uh, the Tick comic uh, the Tick cartoon was because it was almost it was almost a mirror image of the actual comic book itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vis- the visual style is very similar. Obviously, a lot of the characters from the comic book appeared in there and. Uh, the guy who did the Tick's voice, I think his name was his last name was Townsend or something like that. Um, his voice was great because he he really conveyed the kind of the absurd cluelessness mm-hmm. in, in the Tick's voice, which then carries on kind of into uh, the the later versions of the Tick. Uh, my biggest my biggest draw to the cartoon mm-hmm. was the the guy who did the voice of Arthur. Mm-hmm. Was Mickey Dolenz? Yes, of the Monkeys fame. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and I was I was a huge fan of the Monkeys. Used to watch that show every day growing up, especially during the summer. Hey, hey, with the Monkeys, yeah. people say and we Mickey... monkey around, but we're oh, yeah. too busy singing. Busy oh wait, before I, get, before I get a trademark or copyright, put everybody <laughs> down. Yeah, wow. Mickey Dolenz actually after that went on to have a pretty lucrative career as a voice actor. Mm-hmm. And he did the voice of Arthur, and I was like, "I know that voice. I know that voice." 
and I was the only one that knew that voice. So mm-hmm. street cred, street cred. If you had cred. given me ten thousand dollars on a yes or no question, is Damien <laughs> Randall was Damien Randall a fan of the Monkeys TV show? I would Absolutely. have lost ten thousand dollars. Absolutely, my sister and I watched <laughs> that show religiously. It was okay. amazing. Learn something you new every something day. New. Every day, every single day, uh, but yeah, that uh, that was it. Like everything that I loved about the the comic, I loved about the cartoon as well. Mm-hmm. And now that he had a voice that was, and it was the voice that matched the voice in my head for him. Yep, in reading the comic, so I thought I thought that was dope. Yeah, it just it. it had to be this big, booming, naive voice, and <laughs> they nailed it. Uh, they nailed it. And, and so that cartoon only lasted. I think like three seasons. Uh, yeah, it was like it, 30, 36 episodes. Yeah. So not that long, but it was enough for it to kind of get in the brain, get in the consciousness and get people interested in this character. Because then in 2001, we got our first live action version of the tick, which again, yeah. we just talked about the voice and how important the voice is almost more so than the voice when doing a yeah. live action. You have to have the physical characteristics of the tick or it would not work. Right. The combination of Patrick Warburton's size and voice was perfect. One of one of my favorite voice actors of all time, especially when he uh, he played the voice of Kronk mm-hmm. in The Emperor's New Groove. And my wife and I always imitate that. I love that. Squeak, squeak, squeaker, squeak, squeaker, squeaker, squeak, squeak, squeaker, squeaker, squeak, squeaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so every time we hear his voice on anything, we just go cronk. And uh, he was the perfect, the perfect voice for the tick mm-hmm. in this in this show, which I have to I have to be honest, because if I'm not mistaken, this show didn't run for very long, did it? Uh, no, it only aired. I think seven or eight episodes, and then on a DVD yeah. release a few years later, yeah, it turns out they had like six more <laughs> that just they filmed <laughs> and it, they were pretty much done. They just they lost the distribution or whatever, so they only aired, yeah. I believe, eight episodes. Right, because I, I can't remember when it came on, but I, I think they gave it a terrible time slot. And I remember like not even seeing it in the first run. Mm-hmm. I think I, I caught it like a, a subsequent viewing and I may have caught three episodes of it because they, for, for whatever reason, it just, it never caught on. And, mm-hmm. and I, from what I recall outside of Patrick Warburton, I don't think I was really interested in anyone else on that show, but I can't remember yeah. because it's been so long and, I mean, so he was episodes. he was definitely the biggest. Yeah, he he was the biggest draw. At, like Nestor Carbonell, who was in a couple other TV shows around the time. Yeah, like he he was at least recognizable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it was just it was a weird combination of people who yeah. really wanted to see the live action tick watched it, or we found a way to watch mm-hmm. it. Right, people who had no idea what it was. It was just not working <laughs> for, that, for a live that's action. A t- right. And that's a, that's tough, especially on Fox, which if you think about 2001, the biggest show on Fox was 24. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're watching 24 and and, and then <laughs> one day you turn on the station, there's a, a, a weird dude in a big blue suit 
mm-hmm. who's talking like this. And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm not really sure what I'm watching right now. Um, but let's turn it back to Jack Bauer and see what he's talking about. Pretty much. Yeah, but it was it was a good try. I just uh, I, I think that I think it, it, it went to the wrong audience at the wrong time. Yeah. I, and, I, I uh, think, it, yeah, it just and that happens all the time. As we know, Fox has a mm-hmm. terrible history of having <laughs> great shows or great properties and messing them up somehow, some way, somehow, some way. So that it was yeah. kind of a, yeah, it was a victim of circumstance. You know, this 2001 live action version. I remember, uh, and again, man, this makes me feel old. Um, back in the Comic Con circuit, and not even Comic Con circuit. That makes it sound like it is connected to San Diego. Back in the comic convention circuit, in like these small little towns where it was basically in a warehouse, uh, I remember getting bootleg VHS tapes that somebody did have the wherewithal record and then distribute <laughs> so i remember watching these i i actually do not think i watched them same with you i missed it in that first few months that it was on and it was only until i would go into the comic book shop every wednesday pick up my new issues and people were talking about it and i was like ah oh, yeah i missed it they were like you know uh, i can i can get you a copy i mean uh mm. and i was just like really that's kind of clandestine hey, activity hey, for the tick hey, hey. He took you in the back, like through the beaded curtain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is kind of sketchy. Oh, it's uh, the tick. The mm-hmm. tick. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. So I remember getting it on a VHS tape and watching all of them. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was it was great. And then it was just that was that was it. It was kind of this flash in the pan uh, yeah. iteration. Fast forward now to 2016, where they filmed a pilot. For the new version of which they expanded and just dropped this past weekend. So the original pilot that dropped in 2016 starred mm-hmm. Peter Serafinowicz and Griffin Newman and a different style completely than what we are used to. Completely different. <laughs> and I remember when this when this dropped last year when the pilot did and they did this to kind of maybe find a distributor you know, see if they needed to uh, do anything more to kind of help out and get some more production going. So it hit online, started getting distributed. I found it early and immediately I was, I was hooked, but I was also concerned. Concerned? Concerned because I was like, okay, they're trying this live action thing again. (laughs) I hope now is the right time. I hope that now people kind of understand more about this character and more about this world that he lives in. And and so that that was my concern. Yeah, the, the the one thing that I do have to give credit to episodic television for nowadays, especially in regards to superheroes, is that we did kind of cross a threshold a few years ago where people understand how to make people receptive to something that's perceived as a superhero show mm-hmm. and even if it's a even if it's a parody show so one of one of the differences that i saw with this one right off the bat was there was a certain degree of character development that was not there in the last iteration of the of yeah. the live version of it and that made all the difference in the world even if even if you look at someone like a tick like the tick who's shrouded in mystery part of his development is creating that curiosity about 
who he is. Like mm-hmm. in the in the first live action version, I didn't even even though I knew this from the comics and from the the cartoon, I didn't really feel like they dove or made me care about like why does he not know who he is mm-hmm. before a certain point? Why like I didn't I didn't have those questions, but then watching the newest version again, I was brought back to, ah, that is a good point. Like, why doesn't he remember anything before four or five days ago? What is Mm -hmm. up with that? I want to know. Yeah, that that was definitely something that that they pulled. Yeah, with that original pilot and especially throughout the rest of this six-episode season. And I think that was another really smart move that they did. Yeah. Instead of doing shooting 12 episodes and doing all of this and then we're kind of distributor and they're like you know what we're going to do a 12 episode season do six drop those wait for some critical response wait to see how people are you know reacting to it and then we will release the second part in early 2018 yeah genius move yeah it's, and it's it's almost essential especially when you're when you're not releasing week to week, like a lot of a lot of broadcast uh, networks still who release week to week actually produce the shows throughout the season. So a lot of times, mm-hmm. even when you start the season, they're they're still working on, you know, six episodes ahead. So they don't have enough time to really react to feedback like some of these shows uh, here uh, in the binge world, as we call it, uh, with the, the Netflix model, as some people call it. In most cases, you produce the entire thing and it's out there and you don't really have time to to adapt once it's out there. So this is this is smart. Let's break it down. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, let's break it down in the halves. Let's do six. Let's make it decent. Let's get feedback from people. And then let's really apply that to the second half of it so that we can make sure that we have a product that people want on the back end. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that was a really smart move. We talked earlier about Patrick Warburton being a great physical representation and a great voice. Peter Sarfinowicz had a lot to live up to uh, with this character. Yes. <laughs> because nerds like us, we already knew what we wanted. It is just like any time they do a Batman video game or a new Batman cartoon and Kevin Conroy is not the voice, I immediately become <laughs> suspect. So, yeah. Yeah. It it is that same type of thing. So with Peter, that was something where that was another one of my concerns just before him because I already had an idea in my head of how big the tick was, what he sounded like, all of that. And then I think initially with that first costume, that was not really the tick that I was looking for or that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. By episode two, he has a completely different costume. <laughs> Right, which is we well, and again that's because they they filmed that pilot f- so oh, far in advance. A long, yeah, long yeah. time ago. <laughs> and so I, I noticed it too. I was like, "Yo, that's okay." Mm-hmm. I see what y'all did there. Yeah. So by the time the second episode comes out, completely different costume. What was great is in that second episode. So you and I both have been around filmmaking in a variety mm-hmm. of ways. You have produced and or directed something like hundreds of music videos. You have done some short films. Mm -hmm. One of the technical things about issue one or episode one to episode two that 
blew me away. So they filmed those months apart, like a long time apart. The fact that they were able to do a different costume and everything and for it to look as seamless as it did from episode one to episode two Mm -hmm. blew me away. And it is one of those small technical details that I think some people might not understand how hard that is to replicate where everybody was standing, sitting, the tone, everything in the background months apart. Very difficult to do. Very difficult. So that that was really impressive to me. I also liked that when the Tick comes back in the room, again, in a completely different costume than the last time all of these characters saw him, uh, stuff goes on, and a few minutes later, Arthur and Tick are in the alley, and Arthur points at him, and he was like, you, do you look different? And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then he just goes along <laughs> with it. That was yeah. all it needed. It was like that little acknowledgement that, yes, there was a huge costume change, and even the character in the world noticed it, but it it just gets you know brushed off like nothing. Right, right. No, it's it's you know it's uh again this is a show that's a parody. It's it's a very deep parody, and it's it it almost satirizes itself at mm-hmm. times. It, it doesn't take itself seriously, even to that extent where it's it's so meta that there's a joke within a joke about what the guy is wearing and how inconsistent it is, but. Again, they just keep moving. That that's the least absurd thing about this show, probably. Uh, yeah. Um, I also really liked the sound design. They did it similar to Tom Hardy's Bane in The Dark mm-hmm. Knight, where as the tick is walking, even if the tick is just walking down a sidewalk, they add some extra sub bass, and it just gives that character just this heavy, grounded feeling. Right, And it was those little technical things that just, especially in a web series like this or a series that, you know, has is a web-based platform on a web-based platform. That was really cool. And it was really smart of them to do. Right. And it, and it makes perfect sense. Also, if you, I I don't know how tall, um, Peter, (laughs) yeah. And he, and, and by the way, he did, uh, he did applaud you on the correct pronunciation of his name that interview uh mm-hmm. he did give you points for that i didn't i didn't get the point total though but uh it, it literally adds gravity to that character this is a mm-hmm. big bulky guy who is nigh invulnerable and just little little pieces of elements like that contribute to it and you, and you may not even notice it but it's it's there and it mm-hmm. adds to it yeah so peter is six five so oh okay he is a big dude. <laughs> so they they didn't have to uh they didn't have to Tom Hardy the camera with him then. So they he was legitimately that much taller than everyone. With oh, Tom Hardy's five foot eight butt walking around looking intimidating. <laughs> get out of here. Um <laughs> anyway. Uh this is not the Tom Hardy Shade podcast. Uh that airs no, on Tuesdays. No. Uh, <laughs> uh no, I, I like the guy. Uh so some of the other things that that I like have a lot to do with the people behind the scenes. As I talked about the technical things, but Ben Edlund, huge Mm -hmm. props to Ben Edlund for being one of those creators in this boom that happened in the eighties and early nineties of comic books. He retained all rights to this character. Every version of this character that comes out, he has a hand in smart. People do not realize how rare that is and how important that is 
for your character, for you to just be involved. So many of the legendary characters that we see, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you see Stan Lee in a movie, guess what? He does not own anything. He right. created all of these as an employee for a company that owns them. Right. So people like Ben Edlund, Eastman and Laird, Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, who created these characters in the 80s and 90s and have retained all of the rights, I, I will always give huge props to that. Yeah, it's it's especially amazing for um, Edlund, especially after dealing with Fox, because mm-hmm. we know that they're they're notorious for trying to assume other people's intellectual property whenever mm-hmm. they can. Um, but what um, was I going to say? He, um, it, it's it. You'll see that more on shows that are that are on non traditional broadcast networks mm-hmm. like Netflix and like Amazon because they are not owned by another major conglomerate that specializes in intellectual property, Disney, Warner <laughs> right. Brothers, and so forth, and even Fox. So it's it's good. That's that's one good thing about being on a Netflix or an Amazon because you're essentially indie, so to speak, because mm-hmm. your your intellectual property is not tied to a major studio. So you're you're a lot you're allowed to um come with ideas that are that are less filtered and more likely to retain ownership of your intellectual property as well. So this is the perfect uh distribution system for him. Yeah. So I I mean I respect I respect him for a lot of ways, but that in and of itself, especially when in the nineties a lot of those independent creators, like when Image Comics was first coming up and Dark Horse and all of these ones, they 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 you you know they got offers in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. people like Liefeld and Todd McFarlane mm-hmm. with huge characters like Spawn. He yeah. got offers all over the place. But he trusted himself enough with that character to be like, No, that this is this is mine. <laughs> well, fun fun fact. The he's one of the co founders of, of Image Comics. And that was one of the reasons why he founded it, because it was it, and it still is uh, a comic imprint that is run by comic creators. And one of the founding principle of, principles of it is they retain ownership in all their properties. Mm-hmm. And they've they've always been or since then, they've, they've always pretty much been the number three one behind Marvel and D.C. It was a little bit of a slower burn, but anyone who gets their properties from image placed in movies usually end up uh, getting pretty lucrative deals because they retain ownership because that was the design of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just big shout out to, to Ben Edlund for just being smart, trusting yourself, trusting your property <laughs> that you, that you were going to take care of it. So, yep. uh, yeah. So that was the first six episodes. We were not really going to go episode by episode. The nice thing is, it is streaming. If you have an Amazon Prime membership, which, come on, everybody has an Amazon Prime membership, you yep. automatically have Amazon Video. So this is a six-episode half season. They're less than 30 minutes each episode. So you can yep. power through this easily in a night. Yep. So I did it in, I did it in one sitting before the lights went out. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was, And it was, it, was, it was pretty good. Uh, it moves at a very good pace. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the, the character play is, is, is wonderful and it leaves you with a little bit of a cliffhanger just to let you know, mm-hmm. this is not the end of the season and you need to tune in in the spring to figure out what comes next. Yeah. 
Uh, one disclaimer, though. The cartoon version and, of course, the previous live-action version were family shows. This one, as funny as it is, as satirical as it is, Mm-mm. a lot of people get killed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's literally a character called Overkill. Overkill. And, and that, he kills and that's a what lot he of does. them. <laughs> he overkills everyone. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it is violent in some parts. Uh, there is occasionally some strong language in there as well. Mm-hmm. But it's still it's still very enjoyable. You you can watch it with some adult supervision. Yeah, uh, one of another one of the other quick side characters that I enjoyed um, was Tinfoil Kevin. <laughs> yes. Tinfoil Kevin is hilarious. Uh, basically, Tick in his naivety brings this man off the street into Arthur's apartment to live with him, and. <laughs> Arthur has no idea what is happening, and he was like, oh, this is Tinfoil Kevin. You see him all the time. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so it was just like little mm. things like that. At one point, <laughs> he says, uh, oh, we can go to my office. And Arthur was like, you you have an office? And he was like, just because I'm homeless doesn't mean I'm officeless. Yes. It's, Great stuff. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny. And he was literally making a tinfoil hat mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, one thing that I did notice in the credits of this is that Patrick Warburton is a producer on the mm-hmm. show as well. So I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, just like we talked about though, like if you know that you have a bar that is, you know, a person, whatever, talk to that person be like, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how can we work together? So yeah, good for them. Uh, all right. So for the official rating for the first mm-hmm. half season of the tick on Amazon Video. Damien, what do you give The Tick? I'm going to give it a good. I really did enjoy it. And especially compared to the... I think they learned the lessons from the first Fox version of it. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, they have the distribution means that suits them. They did a good job of giving us just enough to, to test it out. And I'm pretty sure that the second half of the season will be even stronger because they're giving themselves room um, to absorb that feedback and grow from it. So it's, it's definitely a good for me. Excellent. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, this is for sure a good. I cannot wait to see what this second half of season one looks like. Uh, from what I heard, it is going to be early 2018. So, yeah, uh, I, I really look forward to this. So far, it is good. And, and I am a big fan. So there you go. Same. That was the tick. Uh, now, Damien is going to introduce us to the next TV show, uh, The Defenders, which is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It also dropped uh, recently. This one actually dropped about a week before uh, The Tick. So <laughs> give us some backstory of, for those people listening who are not staring at thousands of comic books like I am right now in the studio, uh, for people who do not know, who are The Defenders, where did they come from, all of that. All right. Well, the Defenders are a property of Marvel Comics. They are, I would say, a loosely formed team of mm-hmm. uh, of superheroes. Um, if a lot of people get a little confused about how they are compared to the Avengers, the Avengers are probably the most well known Marvel team. Um, yeah, and we've seen X- them in X-Men, movies already. Avengers, yeah, X Men. Okay, yeah. X Men, Avengers, but the, you know Avengers are up there, especially now with yes. uh, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with the the cream of the crop of heroes, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, and all them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
people get a little confused about what's the difference between the defenders and the Avengers. The main difference is the Avengers are a group of people who come together and they agree to work together as a group for whatever amount of time to save the world whenever threats arise. Mm -hmm. The defenders, like I said, are, are, are a little bit more loose based. They are more or less a reluctant team. They're brought together yeah. by circumstances more so than a desire to be a group. Less and I'll about talk about camaraderie. The, correct. And, and more about, hey, we're all being affected by this one thing. Let's go ahead and team up in order to get this done. <laughs> right. And then, you know, we can go back to what we were doing before. And I, I'll, I'll talk to that. I'll talk more to that once we get into the, uh, the TV show itself. But to give you an example, back in 1971, they presented the the first version of the Defenders in Marvel Feature Magazine. And this lineup featured the Hulk, mm -hmm. Doctor Strange, Prince Namor, a.k.a. the Submariner, and the Silver Surfer. Four characters who would have no reason to team up <laughs> mm -hmm. other than, and, and I can't remember the specific circumstances of the first, of the first, um, incident uh, or whatever they, but. i think in that arc there was the undying ones were yeah. like a cosmic entity which again when you look at that lineup and you think of characters that are a bit op so silver yeah. surfer has the power cosmic dark strange right. is the source of supreme <laughs> namor is nigh invulnerable hulk yeah. nigh invulnerable so there needs to be a thread <laughs> on a different right. scale than the Avengers. So I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it had something to do with the undying ones, these cosmic entities that were causing right. havoc. Right. And, and, and it's brought to the attention of these four characters specifically. And then they're brought together and they're like, hey, our backs are kind of against each other right now. Let's fight our way out of it. And, and then they might stick around for a little longer. Mm -hmm. And then they disband. Uh, Compared to even the Avengers, like the Avengers lineup changes over time based mm -hmm. on need. The Defenders lineup changed quite a bit over time. All based the time. <laughs> on, yeah, based on whatever the incident was. And the really fun part about the Defenders was that, again, they didn't always get along. And there were certain verses of it that they didn't get along at all. And they were fighting the entire time. Mm -hmm. And as soon as whatever the mission was was completed, they were like, all right, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And then and then the next storyline would start with a new set of defenders. So that's 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 kind of been the premise for the last for the, for the entire run of the comic book. The most recent version of it involves um, the characters from the Netflix series, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones and and Daredevil. And even in the current comic book, they're all brought together by an incident triggered by one of Luke Cage's old enemies. All of them are affected by it because this guy is coming after them in particular. And then they all reluctantly team up mm -hmm. to, to take him on and it's still ongoing. So it hasn't been resolved yet, Gotcha. but they're, you know, obviously, and it's a, it's a cross sell for the, for the TV show as well. Um, which brings us to Marvel's the defenders, which debuted a couple weeks ago on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I have been waiting for this show since they announced the Netflix lineup many, many years ago. They yeah. announced <laughs> they announced Daredevil 
a little bit later they they announced that they would be doing shows for Jessica Jones, who nobody knew Mm-mm. about but me. Uh, it seems uh, a like few, a few of us, thank <laughs> a you. few, a few, a few, a few guys. But I mean, the the, the public at large is like, yeah, I've no. heard of this Daredevil guy because of Ben Affleck. But what is a Jessica Jones, and why mm-hmm. does she have a regular name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Cage and an Iron Fist. And then after that, they said, at some point, we're going to team them all up and we're going to do the Defenders. And I was like, mm-hmm. yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I was I was here for it. And it's it's kind of been a long build uh, in the Marvel tradition. They don't just throw you right into the fire. Nope. They say we're going to spend some time with some character development because that is what's necessary. Mm-hmm. And so you had two seasons of Daredevil, one Jessica Jones, one Luke Cage, and one Iron Fist. And the the prevailing undercurrent in all of these series was that there was a criminal element called the Hand that was no pun intended, extending its hands into the underworld of New York. Mm -hmm. So it would only make sense that at some point, these characters who didn't have a lot of crossover with each other, except for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, would somehow be brought together by this common threat. Mm -hmm. Um, Which brings us to the Defenders series. And in this series, uh, some of those elements from the hand that you saw in in the other series played themselves again in this mm-hmm. uh, in this show which brought those four characters together and it was it's it's a rocky start again true to the comic book in real life these guys don't know each other they don't trust each other they don't have a mm-hmm. reason to go hey you're a guy with superpowers let's <laughs> team up and do stuff yeah it's not really the way that it happens they're they're people too remember this is a world in which there there are avengers and there are other characters like in S.H.I.E.L.D. and so forth. So they're used to seeing these superpowered people out there. Some of them, like Luke Cage, are trying to keep a low profile. Others, like Jessica Jones, have their own agenda and they're just not interested in it. Mm-hmm. Iron Fist has his own mission. Yeah, uh, he does. And he will let you know anytime. Well, mm-hmm. he, whether you ask him or not, that he is the immortal Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says it quite often. And then Danny Daredevil. Rand, like real quick, like Danny Rand is the type of guy. If this series is any indication, he goes up to Starbucks. Uh, sir, name yeah. for the cup: the Immortal Iron Fist. Uh, I'm Danny Rand. I am the Immortal Iron Fist. <laughs> I am the sworn enemy of the Hand. And he's he gonna, wants that all on the cup, like the whole fit thing. That, please fit that on the cup. You have to read it. <laughs> if you have to wrap around the cup, that's fine. I just need you guys Ugh. to make sure that nobody's confused about who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they, they all have their own agendas and they're not interested in a team up, but they find themselves in a situation where they have no choice, but to depend on each other. And the, the stakes for this series, in my opinion, were pretty high because I Mm -hmm. think the daredevil series set a bar in terms of comic book action on television. Yes. Just Jessica Jones set a bar for, I think, very good story writing and it was it was more of a it was more of a psychological thriller. Luke Cage was was wildly popular, and I think it really tapped into tapped into the urban side. And it was it was it felt more street level than the other ones, and it had it, it really made it made good use of a very very strong supporting cast as well. Iron Fist was Iron Fist. Yep, and. Uh, <laughs> 
it was it was not as well received by a lot of people because again for those who read the book iron fist is the premier martial artist in the marvel comics universe mm-hmm. and unfortunately finn jones is not mm. a, a premier martial artist Mm-mm. on camera as or well. at all so and and again yeah. like we uh, we uh, and i'm when i say we i mean a lot of people trashed on finn jones when Iron Fist came out for not being a martial artist, as more stories started to develop, come to find out uh, that it was, I mean, it was rumored at first, uh, and then it was kind of confirmed by some sources, they would be giving him new fight choreography like a week before the fight or a week before the shoot. Yeah, that's not going to (laughs) work. Not going to work. Like, you look at one of the best non-martial artists or actor who is not a martial artist, who makes it look great, Keanu Reeves. Love him or hate him, as an yep. actor, he takes it seriously. Going back to Matrix and all of that, it was months of preparation. For John Wick, if you go to like Instagram feeds, like you see Keanu Reeves training all the time. Like He cares about it in a different way. Yes. So whether Finn Jones, that was a conscious choice, or whether it was just circumstance or shooting schedule either way it it just did not work yeah there, there were times where I, I i thought it was a questionable casting choice all around mm-hmm. and and there were there were quite a few that I, I i don't i don't know who else they considered for it but i I would just be curious to see who was turned down mm-hmm. um but it is what it is that's um and and, and that's we just had to move on from there so even though that was probably the least well received of those four properties, mm-hmm. the storyline itself was probably the most pivotal to the events of the defenders because yep. it opened up the world of the hand even more than the other ones did. And the events of that led right into the defenders itself. Won't give away the plot mm-hmm. because it, it's only eight, it's only eight episodes, which is a good, honestly, that was a, that was a perfect length. If there was one yes. criticism that I've had of most of the the Marvel series, is that thirteen episodes mm. seems like a bit much. I would have preferred something closer to ten yep. for all of them, just to have a tighter storyline. For this one, I think eight was perfect because, in some cases, I felt like the plot line was a little contrived. And I, I did feel like the the villains, and, and this is what Marvel is kind of, uh, Marvel always kind of gets a slap on the wrist for, the, the villains were not the strongest of villains. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, most of the villains were villains from the other series that had already been defeated and are now teaming up mm-hmm. with uh, with another person at the head. And I've, I kind of felt like, yeah, this is the, the second chance crew. Let's see what they do against everyone now mm-hmm. um so that 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 part of it to me was kind of like eh. but there were still there were still quite a few things about it that i that i did like i do think that there were moments where the action really did step up versus yes. some of the other series uh, i think finn jones was a little better in this mm-hmm. one a li- i say little i say little <laughs> okay I, I think he had more preparation time for it, yes. but um, but it also seeing them head to head. I gotta say, man, um, 
whoever whoever does Daredevil's stunts is is more entertaining than the one that does Iron Fist stunts. Like just those two fighting styles next to each other, I was like, ah, I like Daredevil so much more. Oh yeah. Oh, and again, and Charlie Cox, Daredevil. Yeah. I mean, at least with Daredevil, the costuming lends itself a lot better to a stunt double than yes. Iron Fist, and that, and that is. <laughs> You know, just how it how it is. With Iron Fist, whenever it was a stunt double, the camera was behind him. The camera was above him. The camera was to the side. With Charlie Cox and his stunt double, whoever it was, because you only really see a beard, you can do a lot of different stuff with it. But when it is just Charlie Cox and just Finn Jones, and there are a couple times when you kind of see them scrap, Charlie Cox is ten times more convincing yeah. than, than Finn Jones is. Yeah, they um they they need to go ahead and put that that mask on Iron Fist so that they can Seriously. let the stunt double go wild. Yeah, if anything, just so that the stunt double can have <laughs> an easier time with things. Well, there was that one segment in the in the Iron Fist season where they showed the 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 archival footage of an Iron Fist who was wearing the mask, and he See? was in there wrecking them. I was like, why can't they just <laughs> get Finn Jones the mask now and just let him go crazy? Mm-hmm. They don't want to be great. Not yet, at I, least. I guess not. But yeah, going back to what you said, the eight episodes, that was the perfect timeline. Because mm-hmm. even in those eight episodes, the show only takes place over a matter of days. Yeah. And it still feels grounded. It still feels physical. Other than, like, outside of, like, Daredevil. I love Daredevil season two uh, a lot. But I still feel like there was an episode or two you can shave off right. Jessica Jones, man. I liked that show a lot, but you could have cut quite a few from that one. You could have cut at least three episodes out of it. Yeah, Luke Cage again about one or two episodes. Yeah, uh, Iron Fist is the only one that I actually have not finished. Uh, full disclosure, <laughs> <laughs> because it was just it was rough, and and I tried yeah. to do it for the culture. Um, I might I might go back, but well, it just when it came there's out, there's one episode. In Iron Fist, where they quote unquote go to China, oh boy! And you can tell it really is Long Island, New York. <laughs> like, like wow. they went to China and they went to China and back in almost a day. And I was just like, oh, they, mm. they, they just had to fill out that thirteen episode quota. It was it's kind of tough, but yeah, eight eight is the perfect length. Mm-hmm. I, I'm good. I'm good with that. And um, it it made me even more excited about the the upcoming Punisher season, which I think is also going to have, uh, they, yeah, they they just announced today. I think they decoded the episode titles because mm-hmm. uh, Marvel Studios had done this, had did this. They did a really cool thing where they put the titles in Morse code, and somebody yep. decoded them. So yeah, I think it is around eight episodes. Also, um, yeah, definitely excited for that one with yep. Defenders. One of the things that I think they really did well is the color choices yes those subtle differences which it was not just the tone the color tones which for daredevil almost always there's something red or tone behind him uh luke cage there was kind of an orange iron fit or luke cage there was a yellow iron fist there was like an orange jessica jones there was a blue the subtle way that they shifted from the score between each one and every time it would go mm-hmm. to Luke Cage, it would definitely be more urban. You know, definitely have a lot more beats to it. 
but it was just seamless. Like as I was watching this, I of course could yeah. pick it out, but I was like, this is incredible. That was, that was one thing yeah, that really blew for, me away. Yeah. A filmmaking buddy of mine and I always talk about different concepts. And one of the concepts that we talk about a lot is uh, storytelling through, through colors. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really blew me away about this show is that each character has its own subplot going into them being brought together as defenders. And each one uses the same color palette that they use on their individual shows. So you, you mentioned the colors, but mm-hmm. they use the entire color palette that they use on their own shows. So you actually have four different tones or, or feelings that you're dealing with. And then they, they had, they, find a way to meld them together when they're all together. So it's really, it's really kind of cheating. It's like watching four shows at the same time. Yeah. And then watching the fifth later on. And from a storytelling standpoint and a filmmaking standpoint, that is incredibly difficult to do. And they pulled it off extremely well. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing. So one of the other characters, two of the characters that were a bit grating in their own respective seasons just foggy and karen uh foggy way more tolerable in this show than he has been in any other show yeah i think part of it is his haircut uh big part of it that that helps out so much uh it sounds ridiculous but it really does help uh he also he is not as whiny he is not as i think because he finally realizes he cannot depend on matt for everything he right. now has his corporate job and is doing his stuff. So that was good. Karen, I still do not really understand Karen and why why she gets so upset with things that, come on, like, you know who he is. You know what he is doing. <laughs> yeah, that, that was just kind of weird. Uh, one of my favorite interactions yeah. in the whole series, and this is not a spoiler because I, I will not tell where it is but at one point karen and matt are talking and she was like but you were just you know getting back on track blah blah and you know finding out who you were and he was like karen this is who i am and then walks away (laughs) that was that was amazing yeah you got to give it up uh yeah and it was it was kind of cool that they they brought in the secondary characters from all the shows as well and like literally brought them all in Mm-hmm. And I, I I thought that was kind of a it was kind of a cool touch. It was it was a little weird, but it was it was kind of a cool touch as well. And uh, we get to see and, Turk it, and it made again. you realize the the scope of the show and the, of the productions as well. Like oh, all these people, um, all these people have been carried across all these shows here in one place. Now this is this is an ensemble cast. This is like their um, Avengers: Infinity War, <laughs> right? so to speak. Just on a much smaller level. And semi-spoiler alert, we get a Misty Knight origin, so to speak. Y- ah. Yes. Yeah, we we will we will leave it at that. Yeah. But so yeah, it, it something that could have happened in Luke Cage's season that those of us who know the yep. character were expecting did not happen there, and we we're like, oh, they kind of missed their chance. Uh may or may not go down a different path in, in this show definitely happened here (laughs) um the only person whose fight choreography was worse 
than Danny Rand. <laughs> as much as I as much as I love the actress, and I was glad that she was in this, Sigourney Weaver, wow. <sighs> yeah. It was um it was it was, yeah. pa- it was painful. It was short. Like that thankfully yeah. it was really short. She you know, while anyone is listening, you know, she does not have these long elaborate fight scenes. But even the the stuff that she does do, it just it did not work at, at all. It was yeah, it was it it didn't convince me. But Sigourney Weaver is still Sigourney Weaver, so I, I let her make it. Mm-hmm. I let and her make it. My favorite fight scene is easily, and again, it is not really spoiling anything because you see parts of it in in trailers. Daredevil and Elektra face off more than once throughout this mm-hmm. season, and every time. It works every time, every time. I was still enthralled by what they were doing, and that that just is a huge credit to those two. Yep, multiple hallway fight scenes, so to speak. <laughs> yes, um, there there are there are more than one in that dynamic. I will say, mm-hmm. and they are all good. Yeah, uh, one of one of my issues, uh, what always bothered me in movies and TV shows. When the people in that world have less of a willing suspension of disbelief than we do as <laughs> viewers. At one point, yeah. as much as Danny Rand jokes about, or we joked about him being like, I'm the immortal Iron Fist. He literally says it probably 50 times. Yes. But at one point, they were like, well, what if you are actually this? And he was like, that's ridiculous. I'm the immortal Iron Fist. And it was like... <laughs> So, whoa, whoa, hold on. You punched a dragon in the chest, right. and you do not want to believe something else that might also be a crazy idea? Right. What? I, I just, that always takes me out of a movie or TV show when something amazing and fantastic is happening in their world, and somebody introduces an idea for something also amazing and fantastic, and they're like, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. Why? It's uh, it's 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 it's, it's again. It's I I just have I just have concerns and questions about the Iron Fist character and the way that they present him, and mm-hmm. I really need them to I I need them to make his tone match more or less the tone that that happens in the book. He's more of a of a quipper, mm-hmm. so to speak. He has more of a sharp mouth, and but I, I think that'll come out. As they develop the the bond between him and Luke Cage, if that's something that they plan to do on TV, I think that should bring that hopefully bring that part of them out. Yeah, and I think what will also help is having both Luke Cage and Jessica Jones had some of my favorite lines because those are the two that are the most grounded in all of this. Yeah. Jessica yeah. Jones at one point, she was like, "They were like, all right, we need to go here and we need to do this," and she was like, "This is dumb." <laughs> she's like do you realize what we're this is dumb and they were like but yeah. we need to defeat she was like fine whatever and so yeah. <laughs> those grounded grounded ideas grounded level uh the luke cage and iron fist dynamic between the two i thought was done really well even though iron fist is it still is not too believable but the interplay that they had between them uh at one point iron fist was like uh or no uh Luke Cage was like, tell me about the dragon again. And he was like, the dragon was Shao Lao, blah, blah. And he was like, dude, I was kidding. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah. 
So I think, yeah, as you said, I yeah. think it will develop more as it yeah. as it goes on. They're definitely building that dynamic. Yeah. Uh, cool. I think that was a lot of my notes. I uh, have anything else about the defenders? That's that's about all I can say without spoiling it. Like I said, it's it's eight episodes. It's 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 easier to to watch in a weekend than some of the other ones, mainly yes. because there's you're not dealing with that extra five episodes that you normally would have. Um, I think it's a good start to what they're trying to do long term. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what happens over the next three years because there are there are rumors there there are no obviously no confirmation but there are rumors that they're going to introduce more characters from that street level world like perhaps Moon Knight and and a few others mm-hmm. uh, but obviously we know the Punisher is up next due to popular demand yeah the Punisher is up next and uh, yeah that's that's it for Defenders for me nice. Uh, yeah, so my final thoughts. Um, Elodie Young was great. I, I am a big fan of her. I think she is very comfortable in the Electra role, more so mm-hmm. than she was before. Yep. So, and, and she is solid. And again, she comes from a martial arts background. So when she is doing right. stuff, even if it does a quick cut and you might be able to tell it as a stunt double, there's still that belief of, okay, she probably did 80% of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan of her. Uh, so, yeah. The official rating for the Defenders. Give it to us, Damien. Mm-hmm. What you got? My official rating. Um, it's it's because there's no in between. I'm going to give it a good rating. Okay. Uh, interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to give it a great rating because well, good because that does not exist. Uh, yeah, it does <laughs> not exist. And I, I can't. I can't obviously give it a bad rating. But the one thing, and I hope this doesn't spoil it for anyone, because I, I still think you should see it. I still recommend it. I still think the character development of their villains needs to be more consistent and more pronounced. Like with yeah. Daredevil, you start off Daredevil with a very good villain in mm-hmm. Wilson Fisk. And then in Jessica Jones, you had um, the Purple, Purple Man. Man. Very good, very formidable villain. Uh, I think Luke Cage had good villains maybe not as strong as the other ones and then iron fist was iron fist and then in mm-hmm. in the defenders you didn't have uh, the luxury of some of those stronger villains to play off of I, I think if they if they do the defenders again a little further down the line and they have some formidable villains i'll be more involved i just i just never felt like anything was at stake on this particular mm. show Okay, but with that said, I still think it's good. I still think if you are a fan of any of the series or all of the series, that you definitely need to watch this to see how it all ties in together. It's a very, it's a great exercise in seamless storytelling and the blending of different storylines. And and all in all, I think it was a good effort. Excellent. Uh, yeah, speaking on the villains, real quick, I did really like that one of the villains spoken Japanese the entire show. Yes. I really wish, and I've talked about this before in different episodes, I really wish that more movies and TV shows trusted the audience that we can handle it. We can read some subtitles. It is okay. It is not yeah, going to kill you. I can handle it. <laughs> and it. And it made sense in the context of the show. So I thought that was just Absolutely. really well done. Um, I liked that they, they added that. So my rating for the Defenders, uh, I'm also going to give it a good 
slightly more enthusiastic than Damien. Mm-hmm. Um, I did enjoy this one <laughs> uh, quite a bit. Um, Sigourney Weaver adding her to the ensemble. That, that was pretty huge. That is a big get. Um, yeah. And she was good. Just the martial arts was weird, but whatever. Uh, she was a strong, <laughs> she was a strong enough actress where it just, it still did not take away from, from her character. Right. So, uh, yeah, so there we go. Uh, that was this episode. We talked about, or I talked about patty cakes, which I gave a good, we talked about all about the tick, uh, and the new mm-hmm. TV show, the tick on Amazon video right now. Uh, we both gave a good, if you want to mm-hmm. listen to the two stars of that, uh, I interviewed them. Uh, last week so you can go on youtube and find that uh just search for about to review uh and then it is also in the regular podcast feed and then we also just talked about the defenders on netflix which again we both gave a good one slightly more enthusiastic than the other um <laughs> i just expect more <laughs> exactly uh mm-hmm. on the next episode uh there is a little convention called pax which is the penny arcade expo i say little even though it is a gigantic four-day convention having to do with video games and board games and multimedia stuff. So uh, I will be going to that with this guy named Steve, the About to Review video game correspondent. Uh, And I will also be attending Six, which is the Seattle Indies Expo, which I love going to. I'm covering it again this year. This one focuses on local game developers, local game creators, and I just I love supporting local artists. So uh, that will be on the next episode. So that will be PAX and six. Uh, so for this episode, uh, I have been joined by Damien. And where can people find you and all of your projects? All right. Well, you can find me, of course, on the Curly Nerd podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the website is itsthecurlynerd.com. You can find us on the social medias on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at it's the curly nerd you can find me personally in my musings at damian randall mm-hmm. on again uh twitter instagram and and facebook if i let you right and uh also you can find my other podcast from houston with love which is kind of a uh, current events of arts and culture in houston that's well that's how we describe it we currently mm-hmm. get off topic but we also Frequently. feature a lot of <laughs> feature a lot of uh, pretty good underground hip-hop music that you probably Mm -hmm. have never heard of and you can only find there Uh, this week obviously we're we're taking a break from it we did uh, we did upload a special quote-unquote hurricane mix which is just all music just all music Uh, all three of us are kind of in our own places this week because of the hurricane Mm -hmm. and we were we were not able to get together to record it but uh, there is a mix that will be available online later in the week Hope you enjoy it. Uh, for John's sake, I will include a playlist this time. I forgot it once. And, uh, that, okay, that from, is one of my favorite parts. So I have been listening to From Houston <laughs> with Love since the beginning, from episode yeah. one. And yeah. I love being able to pull up the episode notes and be like, cool, this person, this person. Then I can you know, hit them up on Twitter. Uh, Marv Juan, I hit him up. Like, he just, yeah. I, just, I like that. And so, yeah. I called Damien out because yeah. on one of the episodes, I was like, I, I really like this song. Let was, me see who. Oh, uh, <laughs> that was my bad. That was my bad this time. But but uh, this one, it's it's a it's got like 70 songs. So wow. well, not 70 okay. songs. What am I talking about? Not not that many. Not that many, okay. Damien. Uh, pro- probably about, uh, I think there's about 30 songs on the okay. playlist. 
and uh, I will have the playlist on there. But it's uh, from Houston with Love. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at From Hugh with Love. That's F R O M H O U with Love. Find us there. Uh, like I said, we've got nine episodes, nine full episodes that we've done so far. We had something special planned for the 10th, but we're going to put that off until next week. But in the meantime, enjoy episode 9.5. That is a hurricane mix. That's what we call nice. it. Nice. I like it. Uh, and as for this podcast, I mentioned it at the top of the show. But you can find it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at about to review Subscribe on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast, Google Play. Uh, I'm also on there. If you go to the website and you go to the support tab at the top of the website, you can pitch in a dollar. Helps out, helps keep the lights on. Uh, and also make sure to go to YouTube, uh, search for About Tree View. Because I do not have enough subscribers or whatever yet, it is not fi- it is not youtube.com slash about tree view yet. <laughs> so just search About Tree View and it will be on there. Uh, so for this episode, I have been your host, that guy named John. And I am Damian Randall. So thank you, Damian. Uh, stay safe out there. And we will see you next time. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter at Vexing Media. <laughs>